The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sportbox. The headlines, the Dow reverses steep losses to close higher after falling as much as 2% in a volatile session driven by concern over the spread of the new virus strain. Congress passes the long-awaited U.S. virus relief bill, sending it to President Trump for his signature to release the first round of federal funding since the spring. If we're going to have safe, to safely enter the economy and our schools, we must crush the virus. I have hope because of the virus. That's why we could support this bill. Britain battles to reopen its borders, holding emergency talks with Paris over the Channel shutdown. While Boris Johnson doubles down on his Brexit message, saying the UK can cope with a no deal. There are problems. That the, it's vital that everybody understands that uh, the UK uh, has got to be able to control uh, its, own, uh, its own laws uh, completely. And also that we've got to be able to control our own, our own fisheries. And Apple takes a bite out of Tesla's first S&P trading day, sending shares in the electric car maker giant Noah with an announcement it will produce its own vehicle by 2024. So let's crack on with the latest from the United States then. The House of Representatives and the Senate have rushed to pass a $900 billion COVID relief package along with a $1.4 trillion government spending plan. The new stimulus package includes a boost to unemployment benefits and small business loans along with a further $600 in direct payments. The bill will now be sent to President Trump to sign into law just hours before the current pandemic programme is set to expire. After passing the bill, Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi warned the package doesn't go far enough, but added she is confident the government will provide further support under a Biden presidency. If we're going to have safe, be safely enter the economy and our schools, we must crush the virus. I have hope because of the virus, that's why we could support this bill. It doesn't go all the way, but it takes us down the path, a first step. So I have hope because of the virus, and I have hope because of the election of Joe Biden as president of the United States, a president who will follow science. He will follow science, and he will recognize that we have to meet the needs of all of the American people, wherever they live in our country. So we um, had the sign off uh, and what a rock and roll session it was yesterday with that, what was it, in excess of 700 point round trip we saw on the Dow. So the early omens this morning are that we're going to get a little bit more selling pressure as we come into the start of the US trade. But we're very early on. That's a quick look at your US futures. Karen's going to set us up for the rest of the trading day. 
Investors had the, the news around the stimulus and uh, the green light that uh, they received from Democrats and Republicans, but it did very little for the market action. And instead, what we saw trading on the news around this new variant, the strain of coronavirus that the UK and uh, has been experiencing, also South Africa with a different variant, but the market you could see just again rotating out of areas that it had been picking up. Uh, airlines in particular, a part of the market that was hard hit cruise ship operators. And you saw across the trading session a patchy old day that took place a roller coaster ride for the Dow that we'll get into in a moment. But if you look at the big moving stocks all around, uh, a bunch of different names. McDonald's having the most negative impact on the Dow. Facebook for the S&P and for the Nasdaq, it was Tesla. And speaking of that, a lot of volatility coming through from the electric car maker as it debuted on uh, its inclusion in the S&P 500 down 6.4%. So coming off a record high from a day earlier, you would seen a lot of fund managers position in the stock given the inclusion of the S&P. But also another factor on top of this uh, volatility that you're seeing from the positioning story was around Apple and news that the device maker may be bringing an Apple car to the market in coming years. So news of that competition not burning well for Tesla and more volatility on the wider index now as a result of this uh, fairly large cap weighting of this stock as it's parked itself on the S&P 500. But speaking of volatility, uh, take a look at the Dow. What a roller coaster ride. We were travelling down about 423 points at one stage, uh, 1.4% before we managed to pick up 37 points or 0.1 of a percent. So quite a significant round trip. In fact, roaring back, and we've not seen uh, days like that where you've had deep losses to only regain them at uh, the end of the session. Uh, June 15 was the day a lot of market watchers were, were also uh, looking at. But in terms of the trading range, 518 points on the round trip, fairly significant. The widest range that we've seen uh, since uh, yesterday was back on the 9th of November when we saw just over 800 points in that trading range. So fairly significant for investors navigating that intraday volatility. Uh, let's take a quick look at those US banks. Uh, part of the story too on that Dow comeback story, you can see the extent of the balance for JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley and Citigroup. This on news that uh, the banks will be allowed to resume share buybacks after the Fed weighed up some of the stress test results. So fairly significant moves in some of those big banking stocks. And a look at how the opening calls are setting up here in European uh, session today. We look a little bit choppy across the board given yesterday was deeply in the red, Jeff. Karen, thanks very much. Let's bring Mike Gallagher into the conversation then. Mike is Managing Director at Continuum Economics. Morning, Mike. Look, what difference has this new strain of the virus made to your more positive view on equities in the first half of next year? I think it produces a degree of caution, I think, at least for the first two months of uh, the year. Um, I think the base story sort of um, remains, which is dominated by vaccine um, rollout. And what we've heard from the scientists so far is that the vaccine is vaccines are still likely to be effective. But um, what the markets will want to know, I think, in the next one to two months is, um, is, is this really um, a variation that merely causes more transmission rather than causing a higher percentage of hospitalization and maybe impacting virus uh, vaccine effectiveness? So those are the questions that need to be answered, and they're not going to be necessarily answered in days. It's going to take weeks. Um, we have already had warnings from the European authorities that we're likely to see some spread of uh, this variation into uh, to Europe, um, and that will be watched closely as well. 
So as we analyze uh, investor behavior as we come into year end and the early part of next year, um, do you think the preference is going to be for locking in gains then and making a print on any profits you've made rather than considering putting new money to work in the market? I think the market has, you know, discounted a lot of uh, good news, um, especially in the, uh, the U.S. market for next year. That good news will arrive, um, but people might get a little bit nervous that the the news isn't necessarily going to be um, coming through quickly in uh, the first part of the year. It's also worth pointing to the uh, the Georgia state elections. Um, that's a mixed blessing for uh, the U.S. Um, equity market. Um, if um, there's a chance that the Democrats win both seats, then we're certainly likely to see some profit taking in the technology sector. And that might well be the case, given that the race in both seats is actually going to be pretty close. So uh, as we approach that January 5th um, vote, um, we could see a bit of a pause in the market, a little bit of a further consolidation or pullback in, uh, in equity markets as well. Mike, I was struck by some pictures yesterday as we're battling uh, various different supply chain issues here in the UK and seem to be isolated that Wuhan, where the virus started, uh, there were pictures emerging of uh, fairly large social gatherings, quite a turn of events. If you consider the way markets are now positioned, they're looking at growth through that corridor of Asia, given the bounce back, uh, the way that uh, many of the nations there have managed the pandemic. What do you think uh, we're going to see in 2021, 22 when it comes to the growth profile of that region? I think if we're looking a bit further out um, over the, the next one to two years, then I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Um, we will see sort of um, vaccine rollout, first of all, in uh, richer countries, but then um, more widely. We should get the Johnson & Johnson um, phase three results um, in, uh, in February, for example. So there's more vaccines coming through the pipeline. Um, and as we see that um, rolling out, we are likely to see consumption bouncing back, global trade, uh, international travel, um, and um, Asia will be at the leading edge of, uh, of that. Policy also is going to be very supportive uh, globally. So we've got all of the major sort of um, central banks in uh, the developed world, um, you know, pushing forward with continued um, hefty pace of QE expansion. And in um, Asia, we're likely to see supportive monetary policy. Um, so we're likely to see no sort of uh, sign of tightening cycles anytime soon in 2021. And I think the combination of those plus a soft dollar, which um, tends to uh, to help asset flows into uh, Asia, is likely to mean that Asia is the, uh, the leading edge. And Asian markets aren't that um, uh, frothy. Uh, there, you know, there's been certainly bullishness in uh, in China this year, but we still see scope for a further 10 to 15 percent rise in EM Asia equities for next year. It was a slightly different curve that we witnessed in the Shanghai Composite versus the S&P 500. And just charting it now, you can see a fairly significant spike in the month of uh, sort of late June into July. And then uh, the market sideways to slightly high from there. Very different to the, the S&P 500 that pretty much went up in a series of straight lines over the course of uh, the last few months. So when you see this outperformance, what's it based on? Is it uh, based on a bunch of underlying stocks in the technology space, more broader than that? What are you looking for in terms of the outperformance? on the Chinese markets and, and Northeast Asia? Well, well, China and Northeast Asia are really the only sort of um, region globally that has sort of uh, fair technology exposure compared to the US market. 
The problem that, for example, the European and the UK equity market have is they've got very light technology exposure. So, you know, the, the, the whole sort of technology narrative, which is going to be something for the 2020s still, is, um, is partly sort of the reason for the, uh, the Chinese sort of uh, performance. But it's also um, a broadening of the economic um, recovery. And we've seen that in many sort of uh, facets and many numbers through the course of uh, the last um, six months. So it's a reflection of, uh, of that. And the third thing is that um, global investors are um, underexposed um, in terms of uh, China and, uh, and Asia more generally compared to the size of the global economy. Um, so consequently, I think there's, um, there's a long multi-year theme of people reallocating funds towards Asia as well. So it's a, it's a combination of uh, factors on a multi-year basis. I've been coming through the um, the analysis from early in this month, looking for uh, some signs of bullishness around Europe uh, and the UK, and I'm still looking, uh, to be honest with you. Um, does that mean that uh, Europe and the UK sit this one out over the course of 2021? I, I think the the issue for uh, for Europe is that um, we're going to have a bumpy ride, the, the probably the bumpiest of um, the major economies in the uh, the first quarter because. Um, with this new variant, we're not only likely to see sort of extended lockdowns in the UK, but we are likely to see uh, probably significant social distancing restrictions uh, remaining in place through January in quite a number of major European countries. And I think that um, really risks the prospect of a negative uh, Q1. Um, then in terms of the, uh, the recovery phase, um, you've got a bit of a tendency for the European index um, and the UK index to be sort of exposed certain sectors that aren't necessarily going to quickly sort of uh, benefit. So, for example, the financial sector likes higher yields and a steeper yield curve, and that's not really going to occur in uh, Europe or uh, the UK. Um, so the only area that we, we kind of like is, uh, is Germany, given its um, cyclical sort of um, exposure um, globally, and uh, that can certainly outperform the US, but the rest of Europe is likely to perform in line with the US. The US, we're, we're really looking for uh, an up year, 3,800 on the S&P 500, but nothing spectacular. Mike, can I quiz you again on the US dollar? Because I know a lot of commentators are short dollar at this stage and there's a lot of concerns that positioning is overextended on that trade. We were talking to David Bloom yesterday and he thinks there's going to be a little bit of short-term weakness but still sees the dollar coming back to life later next year. Do you think that's possible? That's going to be a bumpy old ride for the US dollar. We won't just see one direction for it. Uh, I think the strategic direction is actually still down. So we're looking for 127 on euro dollar by the end of 2021, uh, 95 on uh, on dollar yen. And the, the two sort of key factors really are that uh, interest rate spreads are a lot narrower than they were in 2018-19. And the dollar is starting from an overvalued uh, point. So just like 2001. This is not like 2008 when the dollar was undervalued. Um, and those are the key driving forces. Yes, at times you will get sort of uh, bounces for the dollar and sort of uh, corrections, but the strategic trend we think um, even into 2022 is going to be for a weaker dollar. Uh, the, the dollar is actually still quite strong on a long-term basis against the euro and against the, uh, the yen. We're going to say goodbye, Mike. Nice to see you. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, make the best of Christmas. We'll uh, catch up with you in 2021. Mike Gallagher joining us from Continuum 
economics. Uh, the Trump administration has published the names of 103 Russian and Chinese companies it says have military ties. It's a move that will increase the screening of their activities. Sam has more detail on who is on the list. She joins us now from Singapore. So are these primarily companies, Sam, that are in the technology space uh, and produce technology that has potentially a military application? Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, uh, it has been suggested that they are companies that do provide this sort of technology, but they are largely aviation companies as well. And what this is, is a new list. And I think it does answer a few questions now and clarify a few things. Because if you remember, there was a report out just last month that suggested that the US was going to designate uh, some 89 Chinese companies as having military ties or alleged military ties. And so what this does uh, is now uh, provide us this revised uh, list from that uh, really getting in as well, you know, with just less than a month to go uh, for the Trump administration. There are 103 companies, as you said, in total, 58 of these companies are Chinese. And uh, as I say, they are largely uh, aviation related companies. And so these have been classified or designated as military end users. And what that means is that they will now have to get a license in order for these uh, US suppliers to send goods to them. And that is said to be uh, likely to be denied more than granted perhaps because they have found themselves on this list uh, for a reason. And it certainly does come, uh, you know, really at a time when China's military modernization has unnerved the region as far away as Washington. In terms of what companies are on this list, we are seeing Aviation Industry Corporation of China. Now, that is a big state-backed uh, aviation company, which reportedly is a key supplier of the plane that China is trying to bring to market. So that could be uh, significant, certainly in terms of Beijing's homegrown ambitions there, and particularly as the company uh, is quite heavily reliant on these US exports. We have been tracking shares in some other uh, companies today that have found themselves uh, on that list. As you can see, uh, they are uh, under some pressure at the moment, uh, particularly Guangzhou Hangxin Aviation Technology. Now, this list is expected to be uh, published for public display today on what's called the Federal Register. And according to a statement from the uh, Commerce Secretary, uh, Wilbur Ross, he says uh, that this list now sets up a new process by which to assist exporters in screening uh, their customers for military end users to really combat these efforts now to divert U.S. technology for Chinese and Russian military programs. So this uh, is in response, interestingly, to requests from the public uh, to pinpoint military end users by name. So that really suggests to us that this has been uh, perhaps publicly driven. But, uh, you know, this is really likely to draw a pretty firm response uh, from Beijing, particularly uh, after those latest additions to that trade blacklist just last Friday, which included some big technology names as well, the likes of SMIC and DJI, that uh, drone uh, maker. But uh, that designation also uh, now requires these companies to actually get a license from the Commerce Department in order for these US suppliers to send them goods. What's different about this list is that uh, these companies have been named for their alleged ties to the Chinese military. That entity list, meanwhile, uh, was for uh, human rights abuses, militarization of the South China Sea uh, and trade secret theft. But uh, really, uh, this is just a clear sign now of Trump really tightening the screws and keeping the pressure on Beijing in his final weeks in office. And so it will be very interesting to see sort of where Biden picks up from where Trump leaves this relationship and whether some of Trump's moves uh, in the recent weeks with this trade blacklist, this defense blacklist, and now with this uh, military end users list will make it difficult in terms uh, of a reset uh, for relations. I mean, uh, certainly Biden is widely expected uh, to stay tough on China 
Uh, but he's less like he's likely rather to uh, take a lesser confrontational approach. So let's see. Guys, back to you in London. Sam, terrific. Thanks very much for helping us out with the story. Sam Vadis uh, coming to us from Singapore. Still to come on the programme this morning, a battle over the border. We're going to bring you the latest on negotiations between Britain and France amid reports the two countries could reopen the border for trade later today. And don't forget to check out these Squawk Box podcasts for analysis of the latest market moves, as well as more on the U.S. stimulus bill. You can find it on all major podcast providers. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. The UK and the EU are reportedly nearing an agreement on fisheries, the main obstacle in the way of a Brexit trade deal. This according to media reports, the two sides could be set to agree on a 35% reduction in fishing quotas for EU boats operating in British waters phased in over the next five years. Meanwhile, the Financial Times is reporting Prime Minister Boris Johnson is planning an emergency parliament session for December the 30th to vote on a potential agreement. Speaking from Downing Street, Johnson once again stressed any deal must see the UK have control over its own waters. The position is is unchanged. Uh, there are there are problems. The, the, it's vital that everybody understands that uh, the UK uh, has got to be able to control uh, its own uh, its own laws uh, completely, and also that we've got to be able to control our own our own fisheries. And uh, uh, and it remains the case uh, that WTO terms uh, would be uh, more than satisfactory uh, for the UK. And uh, we can certainly cope with with any difficulties that are that are thrown in our way. Not that we're, we're not that we don't want a deal, but the WTO terms would be entirely satisfactory. And prosper mightily remains an extremely good description of life after uh, January the first. Either way, you know Boris Johnson does claim that he brushes his hair, but it, it just seems to get wilder not at on every a daily press basis conference. Though, right? Um, almost as wild as the movement in Sterling. Uh, let's have a look, shall we? Pop up the, the board here. Um, well, I say wild. I mean, we're, we're now 134 and change at this point here. So we've had a little bit of a bounce back. The market appears to be buying into the line that there is some progress on the fishing negotiations. Uh, but we're still somewhat off that uh, near 136 that we achieved coming into uh, the the. The weekend, effectively. It's a tug of war, isn't it, between the virus and Brexit now? Yeah. Uh, do we go down on the virus news here or up on the on the Brexit development? So we seem to be uh, moving in both directions at this point. Well, speaking of the, the other big element here, more than 40 countries have banned travel from the UK to prevent the spread of the new coronavirus variant. Spain became the latest country to block all travellers from Britain except Spanish nationals and residents. The government added that controls at the border with Gibraltar will be stepped up. This after at least one case of the new COVID-19 variant was detected in the region. 
And Britain and France could reach a deal on reopening the border as soon as today, according to the BBC, citing France's European minister. Freight transport across the English Channel has been disrupted after Paris banned all travel from the UK. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson sought to reassure the public that food imported from the continent is unaffected by the border disruption in Dover. It's vital first to stress that these delays, which are only occurring at Dover, only affect human-handled freight. And that is only 20% of the total arriving or departing, arriving from or departing to the European continent, which means the vast majority of food, medicines and other supplies are coming and going as normal. Boris Johnson there. Well, let's get to Charlotte for more. Charlotte, uh, that was not the messaging from some of the major supermarkets yesterday warning about some of the shortages that would appear within days if those transport ties were not restored. And uh, some uh, were reporting even uh, shortages around, you know, things like broccoli, lemons, uh, some of the the major items on on the food table, just not on the, the Christmas list, apparently. No, that's right. And uh, yesterday, Boris Johnson mentioned about 20% of food, medicine, and other goods uh, go through. Uh, some of the pools are now shut. And you remember, France shut all their borders for 48 hours, at least in Sunday night. So the restrictions end at midnight tonight. And so the government said that they are speaking to come up to uh, measures to allow to reopen uh, the flow between, of course, the, the critical uh, Dover-Calais route is one that is, that is shut at the moment, a route that can have some days about 10,000 10,000 lorries a day going through that route. So they're working on solution there to reopen the border. Uh, Boris Johnson yesterday at his conference said that he, uh, he spoke to President Macron and that he, he's, he's hoping that a solution would be put on the table in the next few hours. That's something that we heard also from the spokesman for the French government, Gabriel Attal. Take a listen. We're in the process of building a sanitary protocol coordinated on a European level in order to resume border crossings for our citizens in Great Britain, but also for freight. The two subjects are linked and are part of the protocol that is being worked on and aimed at lifting the restrictions. But of course, we've reinforced sanitary measures. And at the heart of this are tests, PCR tests. That's why already yesterday, I had told our citizens who are in the UK and wanted to come to France for the family festivities, that I'd called upon them to start getting tested because no matter what the solution will be, it's more than likely it will be based on a test taken before leaving the UK. So there was another emergency restricted cabinet meeting yesterday evening in France led by President Macron, who is himself self-isolating after testing positive for COVID to draw up the solutions. There, for example, some discussion with the UK government, the kind of test that will be mandatory before being able to travel onto the continent. Apparently, the French government is insisting, insisting on PCR tests uh, before coming to the continent. First, the UK government was hoping on uh, some lateral flow tests, the one that come quicker with a result, but are less reliable. So these kind of negotiations are going on in the background. So these proposals will be presented to EU ambassadors in Brussels because France is keen on having this EU-wide response and hopefully we'll get some of these uh, answers and solutions to start the flow running again today, guys. Charlotte, thank you very much. We're just learning about some of Jeff's roasting habits. Okay. <laughs> As we're talking about food. <laughs> no, so I was, well, I was listening hard to Charlotte. I don't know what... Uh, <laughs> 
You are, you're off thinking about roasting no, this vegetables. this is really important. No? So the yeah. cauliflower shortages in the UK, and you're saying That's you need right. to roast the cauliflower leaves. Yes, as well. That's yeah, fantastic. Delicious. I mean, not just because of shortages, but mm. all the time. Yeah, and uh, reduces wastage as well. Fantastic. I see you're stunned by this revelation that you can roast <laughs> green vegetables as well as uh, orange ones or white ones. No, 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 just the, all the bits that you think you throw away, because I had ah. this panel recently about you know, not wasting, it was about a third of food is wasted. And you think, right. well, how do I cut my wastage in my kitchen? Yes. And obviously, a very genuine way to do it. Yes, and, and you have to be relentless on use-by dates. Yes. I think. Really? Yeah. You don't yeah. With the rest of the family, days. you just have to say, you know what, even though you may not want your broccoli with your custard, you are having both. <laughs> because otherwise they run out. Right, I thought you meant you just keep it a few extra days past what it says on the <laughs> Oh yeah, that too. Right. that too. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.